The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. I'm really excited about our show this week. While 529 savings plans and prepaid tuition options really get a lot of coverage in the media, there's actually quite a few different ways to save for college. And in this week's episode, we're going to explore using a Roth IRA for just this purpose. We're also going to explain the science behind all of those college marketing materials that are flooding your mailbox and inbox and hopefully help you understand what it all means to you or to your child as they're embarking on the admissions process. But before we get to those two items, we want to focus on art and the role that it can play in the college admissions process. And I'm thrilled to welcome photographer and artist Lisa Sorensen to the show to walk us through art portfolios. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you so much, Beth. It's good to be here. Absolutely. We're really excited uh, to have you. And um, I have a lot of students who I work with very few who actually are going to pursue art as a career. They maybe um, love art. Uh, either they're taking pictures or they're drawing or they're painting or they're sculpting. They're doing something in art in their school or outside of school. Uh, and they're, I do frequently get questions from those students and their parents about, well, you know, how do we share this love of art or the work that he or she has already completed in as part of the college process? So one of the reasons that we were really excited to have you come on the show is because I think that is a somewhat common thing. All schools have art programs. Lots of students do art. Um, and some of them are quite good at it. And they want it to have uh, a voice for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, in their application. So can you tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started helping students, um, helping to guide them on building art portfolios? Sure. Well, briefly, I, you know, started taking pictures when I was six. I took pictures all through high school, became a photo editor when I got out of college. So I didn't even go after my art until a couple years after college when I realized the work that I was, um, the people I was hiring and the work that was coming across my desk, I could do as well, maybe even better. Mm -hmm. So I started um, my company with very generous support from my parents, Lisa Sorensen Photography, and I was selling my fine art photography to hotels and restaurants and doing um, book cover jackets. I had an, I found an agent. So I really grew this um, business and I, people started asking me to take pictures of their kids. And 
that was great because the work I was doing, you know, could be kind of isolating. So I started doing portrait work and Christmas cards and events. And some of the parents started asking me if I would work with their kids, if I could put together some classes for them. And the younger kids, that's who I started with. It was more about composition and just giving them a really safe place to express themselves and, you know, not do what maybe they were doing in school, just have a little bit more of a free reign. And about four years ago, um, another client of mine asked if I would start working with her daughter who was in ninth grade. And her older brother, who was in college, very successful um, student, he exceptional golfer, and the sister, her sister, was a rower, and so they kind of had their thing, and this girl didn't. So I started working with her, and what started out as just some basics in photography really morphed into this whole experience that we ended up putting together for her college portfolio. So when we started um, in ninth grade, she's, she's going to be a freshman at Wake Forest next year. When she started in ninth grade, we didn't really have that vision. You know, we were just mm-hmm. working together. She's very um, kind of shy kid, a little insecure, and the transformation you know, with her and just working with her and giving a voice to her creativity, which I think she didn't even know she had. Mm-hmm. By the time we got to um, college application, and even before that, I mean, I was talking to her dad at one point saying, you know, we really should start doing some needy projects, needy, you know, photographic projects that even if she doesn't end up majoring in photography or art, you know, this could be something really special and different that can go into her application. She ended up asking me to write one of her recommendations, which I was so thrilled to do. And that recommendation was so much more about her talent as a photographer. Um, It was more just who she sort of transformed into, the confidence Mm -hmm. that she got, this vision, this creativity, and she sent a portfolio to Wake Forest, even though she was not, you know, going to major in that. And in that application, I'm not sure how it is with all colleges, but their application, there was an option to send a portfolio. And so we put together different samples of the work that she had done over this, these four years. And um, her going... Like, a lot of her um, interview was based on some of the projects we did for Habitat for Humanity. We put together a full-on exhibit of her work, and it ended up being a fundraiser for a cancer um, research organization. Her mom is a survivor. And I can't tell you, just watching her at that opening as this poised woman who started out as so timid that this art for her, I just get really excited talking about it because <laughs> um, I get, I, I can tell it, it definitely comes through that this was really an impactful 
um, experience, not only for her, but it sounds like also for you, which is always exciting. Um, always and so I guess, exciting. you know, in hearkening back to what you were saying about um, Wake Forest allowing an art portfolio, I would say that with as with most things in the admissions world, rarely could I make a blanket statement and say all colleges allow you to do X or Y. And so right. I won't do that here. Um, mm-hmm. What I can say is that most colleges are open to students submitting some type of portfolio. I think at some schools, it has greater potential to be impactful than at others. Um, there are many schools where when you whatever you send kind of in the past, especially because it would come in a hard copy form, you know, you'd send slides or maybe some prints, it might mm-hmm. sit on an a shelf somewhere and never even actually get looked at. Um, I do think that now that people are submitting more and more of their uh, materials, whether they're written or artistic or, or anything really, that it goes online, it does make it a little easier to access and to pass around and to, you know, forward on to the art department, for example, and say, hey, can you give me just a quick review of these materials for me to add to the file? And some schools will do that kind of thing. I was curious, um, it, just on the nuts and bolts element of putting together a portfolio, is there a, um, a mix that you recommend? I know that at art schools, for sure, they give you guidelines. So not the art school, but just for a student like, uh, who was applying to a place like Wake Forest. Um, and, and I didn't, I didn't ask, so I shouldn't assume, but did she apply as a, uh, an art major or was she applying just undecided or to major in something else and then the art was just something to go along with her application? Um, she applied as undecided, and so this went along with the, the application. And, gotcha. Um, because we had were doing these other projects, her counselor at her, she was at a private day school, said, you know, you really need to talk about this extracurricular activity when you go in for your interview because it was so I think unusual, especially since her show, I think she was only 15 when we put the show together. I mean, this this work was remarkable. Um, And it was so interesting because when she first started, she felt so insecure and thought she had no talent. So, (laughs) like, you know, it finally emerged. But, um, so... I don't know. I think that, you know, you don't want to send them, I think it, it's the most helpful if you send them, um, you know, a theme as opposed to just all this random um, work, you know, when you're putting together a portfolio. And I, you know, I have to say I was very surprised that her school, which is a very um, well-known and reputable private school, um, they they had no idea what she should do for a portfolio. So, um, and I guess because she wasn't an art major. So we just sent out actually the work that was done from this show. And then she wrote up a description of that. But, you know, if somebody's not um, putting together something like that, I think, I think to stick with one theme. And I think that if this is allowed to write about what this work means to the person, um, you know, to write an essay to go along with it, which I'm pretty sure that she did with her work. 
Yeah, I mean, I think probably my guess is that um, what I probably would have recommended, and it sounds like maybe she did, is that her primary essay would probably have been about this work because it was so transformative and so important to her, and that the photos uh, in the portfolio would have supported what she had already written. For some students, they may have written an essay about something else and also be submitting, they may also be submitting an art portfolio and want to um, write a little bit about that as well. It may not need to be an entire second essay, or it might. It might be appropriate to right. do so, but um, but there is usually, and certainly in the common application and in many other applications, there's usually a place where f- students can um, include additional information. So if you don't have the opportunity to submit the kind of abstract about the artwork or a paragraph or two about the artwork with the actual artwork, you could always um, upload it or cut and paste it into that additional information section, actually cut and paste on the Common App these days. So, mm-hmm. um, so I, you know, I think those both of those pieces are great advice. It doesn't surprise me, actually, that the school was not particularly prepared to direct what should go into an art portfolio. Even at great private schools, the fact is that um, depending on the quality of the art department at the school, they may not really have a whole lot of insight. And then the college counseling office primarily focused on um, getting in, what colleges to think about, maybe offering some advice on the finance side. But those they're stretched fairly thin, and so it doesn't surprise me that they don't that they weren't able to help as much as you would think that they might be. Right. Um, they just have a lot of things on their plate. But um, that's where we come in. So all this great information here, hopefully we'll reach those people who are saying, boy, I want to put together an art portfolio and I really don't even know where to get started. Um, you know, to that end, what basic recommendations would you have for any student who maybe has some artistic talents, um, maybe like your student doesn't really know how to recognize those um, it sounds like starting early is always great, but really starting anytime, what kind of advice would you give? Well, I would suggest if they're if they're not able to take you know art in school because I know that these days, I mean, I don't have children of my own, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews, and I just the kids just seem really overtaxed, and mm-hmm. um, so if there isn't the to take art classes at school, which I hope there would be. I mean, I know in my community there's a lot of art centers that even if you did an after, if a student did an after school program at one of these, just to get their feet wet to see if that's even what they want to do and hopefully find teachers there that could become mentors for them, which is what I do with... um, you know, now I'm working with quite a few kids that are have sort of gotten wind of what I've done with this girl and, you know, want to do the same thing. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would recommend that. I would re- and especially in the summertime, if there's um, – is to just look and see what's in your community as far as even if it's a day-long course for them to um, have a place to, to really start expressing themselves. Yeah, I mean, I th- I I think that's great advice. I think um, there are summer programs that you can pay for, but one of the great things about art is it's generally, unless you're going to chisel a giant block of marble, it's pretty easy to do wherever you are. And with digital photography, um, you don't even have to pay a lot of money for film these days. Um, no, that's time. true. 
as we're talking right now, I have an 11-year-old son, and I'm thinking, you know, he takes some pretty nice pictures just on his <laughs> iPhone, and I should probably mm-hmm. get him in a class on that because he would probably really enjoy it. Um, so, you know, things like that when your kids are younger, I think taking art in school, um, it's usually a requirement, and I, although sometimes you can get out of it, but I always encourage, just take it. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I am as uh, the least talented person you could find when it comes to art. But at my high school, we had these great ceramics courses and we did some free form pottery. And I turned out something that was actually pretty artistic. (laughs) I was pretty impressed, which was which was really exciting. (laughs) It is exciting. And you don't even know that what's in there and what's so important about having you know, a teacher or somebody or a parent, you know, really can encourage that. And to go online, too, I mean, when you talk about not everybody can go and take a summer program in art, but mm-hmm. it's even online, start Googling, you know, assignments for photography. And, I, I mean, I think that it's, it's what I do for my students. You know, I come up with assignments for them. And, you know, those younger kids, we would do a day in the life. You know, take your, you know, it was a little disposable cameras back then. Take your camera and start, photo, you know, shooting from the minute you wake up until the minute you go to sleep. And let's go and look at your work and see, you know, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff that, that you know, prompts for kids who already are kind of on their way, but maybe they don't want to be in a class. Maybe they haven't gotten everything that they wanted to in their high school. Uh, so there's that option, too. But Lisa, this is really great. I really appreciate it. And my takeaway, hopefully for the listeners out there, is that if you have a child with an interest in art or if you are a student and you have an interest in art, it's great to pursue it. And you shouldn't feel like just because you're not planning to be an art major that this wouldn't be a valuable addition to your portfolio or to your application. The one thing I will say is that when I was at Penn, I did see the occasional student sending me snapshots from their vacations at Disney. Disney, which <laughs> didn't necessarily showcase art talent. So you want to make sure that really you're showing off an artistic side, not just a, hey, look, we met uh, Cinderella and then we met Mickey Mouse. So right. thank you so That's much. Exactly. I oh, really appreciate you. your time, Lisa. Um, next up, we're using a Roth IRA to save for college. So don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. 
Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. You'll learn about forensics, ancient civilizations, and human origins. Listen to Dr. Schuldenrein and colleagues discuss their excavations and related archaeological topics, ranging from the unique to the sublime, and yes, even the mundane. Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology, live Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, as I promised before the break, I have former Hesser College Director of Financial Aid and current college coach educator Cindy Quinn here. And she's going to talk about Roth IRAs and saving for college. Um, so welcome, Cindy. Hi. Thanks for having me, Beth. Absolutely. I think, you know, as I say Roth IRAs, I sort of think I know what a Roth IRA is, but can you start us off with the basics of what that is and why families can use it to save for college? Certainly. Uh, A Roth IRA is really a retirement savings plan. Uh, Individuals can open a plan with an investment firm or perhaps maybe their local bank or credit union, and they can put money into a variety of investments. These could be money markets, mutual funds, bonds, um, those exchange-traded funds, CDs. There's a host of options from which investors can choose. What the Roth does is it shelters any gain or any earnings on these investments from federal taxes. Now, the Roth is a unique account really for two reasons. First, the money grows tax-deferred. But when you're over the age of 59 and a half and you withdraw your gains, the income is tax-free. Traditional IRAs, employer-sponsored 401ks or 403bs, they all shelter taxes until retirement. But in these plans, you're taxed on the earnings. So the Roth gotcha. says earnings are tax-free after the age of 59 and a half. So second, the IRS enabled ordering rules for distribution, and this is where college savings may come in, because according to these rules, the first money in is the first money out. Since your contributions go in after taxes, you can withdraw them at any time for any reason, penalty-free and tax-free. Now, if you're under the age of 59 and a half, you're usually hit with a 10% early withdrawal penalty. If we withdraw more than the contributions, meaning we start to tap into those gains. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are using the money to pay for higher education expenses for either ourselves, our spouses, our children, or even grandchildren, and as long as the account has been open for five years, that 10% penalty is waived. Oh, wow. We do have to pay income taxes at that point in time. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, again, Roth gains are only tax-free after the age of 59 and a half. But if we're under 59 and a half, we are, pit, we are subject to taxes. 
Um, so it operates as almost a, a dual purpose account. It can be used to fund college as needed, but it doesn't penalize you should you need or want to spend the money on something other than college. You just have this extra windfall in retirement to use for yourself. Right. So that's a distinct difference from the 529 plans, which are very strict about what you can use that money for. And that can be fine or it can actually be problematic, as I understand it anyway. It's just not very flexible. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. So with the Roth, you're getting a little bit more flexibility. So what's the downside then? Sounds great. And sign me up. So (laughs) (laughs) that's a question, though. Can I? Am I eligible? Is everybody eligible? Well, it, it depends. Um, you know, as with most things, there are the, the buts involved. Uh, with the Roth IRAs, there are limitations. Um, individuals are only allowed to contribute up to $5,500 annually or 6500 if you're over the age of 50. Really what this means is if you need the Roth for retirement, don't use it for college. Because once gotcha. you withdraw the money from the IRA... You can't pay it back because of these annual limits. So if you're taking $20,000 out to pay for junior's first year of college, that's $20,000 plus its growth potential, um, less that you would have for yourself in retirement. So we encourage parents to only consider this option if they're not currently using this plan to save for retirement. And another downside is, that there are income restrictions. You know, you asked, uh, am I able to, to contribute? Well, individuals with incomes less than 116000 as a single filer for this year or married couples with incomes less than 183000 can contribute the full annual contribution. There's a slight phase-out period that, that goes up to 131000 for single filers and 193000 for married couples, um, but if you're above those limits, then you're no longer able to directly contribute to a Roth IRA. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So lots of companies we're seeing, and actually I'm seeing this at um, my husband's company, they're offering a Roth 401k as a retirement option. Is that the same thing or is that different? Great question. No, it is a separate plan. Um, the Roth IRA is an individual retirement arrangement. It allows after-tax savings that are not tied to your employer in any way. The Roth 401k that we're starting to see pop up at many companies offer after-tax savings as well, but it's a company-sponsored plan. It's It's actually part of the 401k plan. So 401ks, whether traditional or part of this new Roth 401k, they don't qualify for that 10% early withdrawal penalty exemption that I mentioned. When you use Mm -hmm. your IRA to pay for college, you're not going to be penalized. So the 401k plans are not as favorable as the IRAs when it comes to using them for college. Okay. So aside from the income figures that you noted when you talked about who can contribute and who can't, are there other restrictions around contributing to the Roth IRA? Yeah, individuals do have to be income earners. So this isn't a plan that you would open in your newborn's name, uh, unless your newborn is modeling and earning money. And I actually met with a family where this was the case, and the child was earning quite a bit for for his gigs. Um, working teenagers might also be able to open a Roth and deposit amounts equal to their earnings or the annual limit, whichever is less. There's always those, those little rules you have to be mindful of. 
But usually, for most families, this would be the working parent's Roth IRA. Um, okay. There's an exception for single-income married couples. A working spouse is allowed to contribute on behalf of a non-working spouse. So as a couple, you could actually be putting away up to $11,000 annually towards your goal. Regardless of who's earning that money. So there's no requirement that both of them be earning that. Exactly. And, and if we go back to the income restrictions for a minute, are there any ways around the income restrictions? Yeah, there are. Um, currently, there's no income restrictions on converting a traditional IRA into a Roth IRA. So anyone can do it. Um, it is a taxable event. So if you're looking to convert your tra- traditional IRA into a Roth, you do have to pay the ordinary income taxes on any untaxed portion in that year that you convert. So if this IRA happens to be an old 401k that you might have rolled out of a previous employer's plan, the tax is going to apply to that entire amount. So for some families, it, it may or may not be beneficial. Now, if you don't already have an IRA in your portfolio, technically you could deposit your $5,500 annual allotment into the traditional IRA since there's no income restrictions for contributing to that one. Then you immediately convert it to a Roth since, again, there's no restrictions for converting. Um, You might sometimes hear this called a backdoor IRA, if that sounds familiar at all. But most major investment firms have information about converting uh, from traditionals into Roth IRAs on their sites. And I do recommend... um, to your listeners that they work with a professional who's well-versed in this area because there are certain rules and restrictions that they need right, to be aware of. And you don't want to run afoul of the IRA, for sure. I mean, of the IRS, excuse me, of the IRS. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it also IRS. sounds to me... To, it sounds to me, in addition, that um, if you are going to be, if you're an older parent, let's say, and you're going to be 59 and a half when your child is going to college, um, and it's not your sole source of um, uh, of retirement income, that that could be a really great savings vehicles for older parents who meet the income restrictions and all of those things. Would, would that be accurate? Absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, again, with, as with most things, there is that but to be to be mindful of. Um, these plans are generally designed to encourage families within the income scales I noted to save for retirement because, again, they offer that tax-free income after the age of 59 and a half, but they also have that flexibility to withdraw contributions if needed. So, you know, to your point, if you're over 59 and a half and you're looking to use your Roth IRA, from the tax standpoint, they could be ideal vehicles. But from the financial aid standpoint, that's where we could see some interaction or, or some decrease in eligibility because if the money stays in the IRA, it's probably not going to be factored into the financial aid formula. Most mm-hmm. colleges don't look at the balances of your retirement account. But if you take that money out, of the IRA to pay for the first year's worth of expenses, you have to now claim that money as income when you reapply for financial aid the next year. So it could reduce your eligibility for assistance in those later years. Okay. And the 529 plan would not do that? Correct. If you, Correct. Uh-huh. That's one of the okay. benefits of the 529 is that it, it's kind of captured on the front end instead of the back end. So it's treated gotcha. favorably in the formulas. 
Okay. So let's say I convert $10,000 to a Roth IRA in 2015 and my son's going to be going to college in um, six years. Is that fine? Do, do we have to wait until 2020 before, before we can withdraw that money? I did hear you mention something about a five-year waiting period. What's the yeah. situation with that? Great question, and, and I'm glad you caught that. Um, with the Roth IRA, in order to uh, avoid that 10% early withdrawal penalty, you do have a five-year waiting period on when you can access that money. So if you were to open up your account in 2015, you could start access, accessing that money in 2020. Or, yes, excuse me, 2020. Yep. Um, when you're dealing with conversions, though, if you're looking, you know, if you're outside of those income restrictions and you're looking to convert money from a traditional into a Roth and use that for college, it gets a little tricky in, in that regard because every conversion starts a new five-year clock. So if you convert 5000 in 2015, you have access to 5000 in 2020. If you convert another 5000 in 2016, that 5000 does not become available until 2021. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, so you have to be aware of that because obviously <laughs> if you need it sooner. Sorry. Yes, you're absolutely right. Okay. But so, I mean, this all sounds great. It sounds like uh, it could be a really good way for some families to save for college, but not all, because with the income restrictions and the time restrictions and some of those other things you mentioned, um, it's not necessarily going to work for everyone. Is there a best way to save for college at this point? You know, we get asked that question quite a bit in this line of work, and it really depends on how you define that. You know, I think it varies from family to family. Um, some families are willing to, ta- to trade a tax break for flexibility of using the money however they see fit. You know, if the kids don't go to college, well, then they'll spend it on themselves in retirement. And this is where the Roth typically fit in nicely. Um, other families might use it to supplement their college savings, maybe save for tuition and fees in a 529 savings plan or a covered education savings account and use the Roth only if needed. You know, if they if they have to tap into it for those later years, there really isn't a one size fits all solution to college savings. The plan really depends on the individual family's goals. So the Roth is just one of those vehicles worth considering. Right, and so for everyone who's listening, we you know every show I talk about our archives, but this is really as good a time as any to mention those because we've had a number of guests from the College Coach Finance side of things, our finance experts, on to talk about different ways to save for college. And it's really important. I think Cindy's underlying message here is a really, really important one, which is there is no one size fits all. As I was saying in the previous segment, I talked about making blanket statements about college, and I don't do that because you basically can't. I think the same is true for um, for this as well. And what works well for you may not work well for another family, may not work for a different family, still a different family. So um, if you're interested in other savings vehicles and other segments we've done on saving for college, um, I would strongly recommend that you take a look at our archives. You can also also download the shows for free on iTunes. So if you are looking for something to do while you're traveling to those college visits, um, I'm sure your children will be thrilled to listen in on 
exactly all the strategies for how you're going to pay for college, but you could do that. Um, Cindy, thank you so much for being on today and talking us through the Roth IRA. It was super insightful, and um, I, I take away something personally from every one of these segments, and I have some stuff that we have to talk about when I get home today, so I appreciate it. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. Thanks for having me, okay. Beth. Absolutely. So we're going to be right back after the break to explain what all of that college mail you've been receiving means for you or for your student. Uh, So don't go away. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. So I'm curious, are you currently being inundated with mail and email from colleges? And are you wondering why and where it's all coming from? Well, I have uh, some explanations for you because former Babson and Holy Cross admissions officer and current college coach colleague, Kimberly Asalta, is here to explain it all. Hi, Kimberly. Hi, Beth. How are you? I'm good, thanks. So when we were talking about every year um, around this time, it seems like, maybe it's earlier even, I start to get calls from hopeful students and parents who are really excited about a piece of mail that they've received from a college that maybe they've been thinking about or not, but that they can't believe is interested in them. And they're always really excited. And I always feel 
mean when I basically have to say, <laughs> well, I don't know exactly that they're interested in you. And there, so we end up having a whole big long discussion about this stuff. And when we started talking about this as an idea for the show, you said, oh, I used to do some of this when I don't remember if it was both at Holy Cross or and at Babson or at one or the other, but um, I know that you were pretty involved in the marketing behind it. So mm-hmm. I'm super excited to have you here to talk to us about this. So I guess first question for you is how are schools finding these students? Because um, I know that for every student who lets me know about a school they're super excited about hearing from, they're hearing from lots of other schools that they've never visited, that they've never expressed interest in, and that often that they've never even heard of. So how does this right. work? Yeah, and, and parents and students always say, you know, how did these schools even find me? I'm getting mail every day or emails, and everyone's always curious about that. And then there's always the, the schools, too, that students and families are really excited that they're hearing from. And you know, some of it is just blanket marketing, but at least at the places where I worked, it, it's kind of strategic. You know, we were actually, and, and I think parents and, and students don't really know about this process, but we purchased names of students from the college board and from the um, PSAT. So when a student actually sits and takes one of these practice exams, the student may remember filling out a good deal of information about who they are, what they're interested in, where they think they'd like to go to school, majors, and schools are buying names of students that answer those questions in a way that might be interesting for the school. And students who have scored in a certain range of scores that they might feel comfortable when that's translated to an ACT or an SAT score. So um, the school might say, you know, we're interested in enrolling more women who are interested in business majors who mm-hmm. are from outside of the New England area. And you might then be getting mail if you fall into that category. So schools are trying to say, hey, you, student, you have something that you that I'm interested in. And I think we, as a school, have something that you might be interested in. So check us out, and here's our view book. Or come and visit us. Uh, come to our open house. Come to, come take a tour. And, and that's really where the mail starts. Right. Yeah, I mean, we used to do the same thing at Penn where we had some different undergraduate programs and it was the same thing. And so while we all know I'm not comfortable with blanket statements, um, I do think I could be pretty comfortable in saying that what Kimberly was doing at her school is what we were doing at Penn is what most schools are doing. They're they're looking for students. Um, we live in a world where it feels like the admissions process is controlled completely by the schools. Um, and certainly the schools decide who they're going to admit, but the schools have to do something else very important first, which is get people to apply and um, get the right people to apply. And that's what the these mailings are designed to do. Exactly. Well, here's a big question that I always get. Um, does this mean that I or my student uh, has a shot at, at being admitted? Does this mean that they really, that they want me, for lack of a better way to put it? I know. And that's always a little bit of a tough conversation, too, because some of these mailings seem so personal. They use your first name. They know what you might be interested in studying. And they seem really targeted to exactly what you're looking for. And what I always remind parents and students is they only know a little bit about you, which is likely a test score that they believe you will likely get, right? So it's just Mm -hmm. a practice exam score. They've never seen your transcript. They've not read your essay. They have no idea what your recommendations are going to say. So does it mean that you're likely to be admitted? No. 
But it does mean that you have something that they think they might be interested in learning more about you. So it might be a good school for you. And I always tell students, let's start with researching the schools that are sending you mail. There's a reason why they're spending some of their marketing dollars on you. Let's see if they truly have something that you're interested in and if this is a good fit. But does it mean that you're automatically admitted? No. Does it mean that you're, you know, you just can walk in? No. Um, they, they have a very limited um, amount of information on you. Right. And I think also uh, the more selective you get, and I, and I have families that are surprised that at the most selective levels where you've got schools who are seeing 38,000 applications and maybe have 2,400 spots to fill, that they're out there marketing that seems sort of counterintuitive to them. Um, I would say that with those, the more selective the school, the less likely that a simple piece of mail is going to mean that you are um, specifically qualified. There are a lot of right. students that they're marketing to, and it's unfortunate, but I suppose everything gets a little bit trickier and harder the more selective you get, so why would this be any different, right? Right, right. And yeah. I always remind people, too, that this is a, especially the more selective schools get, this is a holistic process. So it's much more than just a test score, and it's it's much more, you know, there's lots of other things that are going to go into this, so simply receiving a piece of mail is not sending you any sign, but, you know, maybe it's something to go and research. Absolutely, and I will say that from personal experience, um, now granted, schools do a lot more of this now than they did when I was applying to college, but I got a piece of mail from a college that I hadn't considered, um, and... I was so flattered that they'd sent me this piece of mail that I checked them out and we went and visited and I ended up applying early decision and that's where I graduated from. So <laughs> it does exactly. work. Exactly. Um, and that's and that why really they do our it, right? Too. Yeah. And we, we really just wanted to get students to come to our website or to come to visit campus. And we felt like we have this little thing that you mentioned you might be interested in. We might be interested in you. Come check us out and see for yourself if we are the right place for you. And we just wanted to get kids on our campus because we knew once we got them there, we could impress them, the right ones, and they would likely turn into applicants. And we may be getting these gems of students that would be perfect for us because but they hadn't thought of us before, if we can just get them to our campus. So I I think it is a great place to start when you're thinking about researching schools. All right. So let's say we have, um, which we may or may not have had, a big bucket of, it was actually a cardboard box um, for my (laughs) stepson that was kind of filled to the brim, and we just sort of started tossing things in there. Um, Can we be more strategic than that? How do you, what do you tell students to do with all that mail? Well, I definitely tell them to try to make sure you're going through it before it is just this overwhelming heap of of uh, materials. But I think in some ways you've got to narrow it down a little bit and thinking about area of the country. You know, if there's just a place that's sending you mail that you just know you're not going to be going to that particular city or state or it just seems so too far go ahead and maybe put that off to the no pile. Um, places that maybe you've, you've never heard of before, I always think it's interesting to just take a look. At, you know, and this marketing material is going to tell you what they're right out there. This is what this school's mission is. And is that something that's interesting to you or not? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think starting location, making sure that you are sort of reading those first couple of pages, seeing what the school's mission, what they're all about. Um, if Do they have the programs that you're interested in? But that's what I would start with. I think location might be the easiest thing to just sort of weed these things out. 
Yeah, I mean, definitely location and, um, you know, if you're starting to get down to it, if you've expressed an interest in a particular subject area, ideally every school that's reaching out to you has uh, a program in that area. But if they don't, that could be something else to think about. Um, I, you know, I think you, you, you create three piles, right? The, I'm going to look at this today. The, I'll have, if I have time, maybe I'll take a look at that this weekend and I'm going to toss this right now because I know right. I'm not going to Alaska. So I'm, uh, I'm going to throw exactly. out that <laughs> Alaska option. Um, what about, because after the initial wave of mail, um, well, actually, first, you, you recommend going to the website. Is there anything that you recommend doing if you are being contacted by a school and you're interested um, because you look and you, you sort of like it? What, what would the next steps for you be for those students? So definitely going to the website, and I believe most of our mailings, we would. There was a reason why we were having you go to the website. So we might have you take a little admit, a little quiz to see, you know, what majors you might be interested in or what concentrations you might be interested in. So going to the website and then checking out the academic programs. I always tell students, I say this a lot, but you know, what is this place all about? Looking at their mission, looking at their about page. And then looking to see what their visit options are. Because like I said, they're trying to get you to come to campus. And if this is a place that you want to visit, or if this is a place that you're interested in, you do want to go and visit. So you do want to figure that out as well um, and see if you can find a time that's going to be a good one for you to go and visit. Right. Okay. So after that, all that email and that mail comes in, then as we start to get into the fall, you may start getting, oh, we're going to waive your application fee. Oh, we have a special application for you. You're, you qualify as a special scholar. We're going to send you a special application. Um, what do those mean? I think people start to get even more excited when those start to happen. And what, 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 what do those all mean? Those get tricky, right? Because if you're getting an email that says, here's our special scholarship application, or you're, you've been designated a scholar applicant, that can be tricky because, again, they're, they're sending you this with very limited knowledge. So, again, this does not mean that if you fill out this particular application that you're definitely going to be in, but... It is saying that they're really interested in having you apply, and they're making it a little bit easier for you. This might be a pre-populated application. They may they may waive an application fee for you, and that can be really enticing for students, especially when they're, <laughs> they're actually right. applying to schools. And there's so much work to this. A school that's just doing a lot of it for you that sounds pretty good. But I always tell students, wait, you know, would this be a school that you would actually go to? So does it make sense to take advantage of all of this? Easy application if this isn't a place that you would end up. So if this, so if you haven't done that research before, I don't think it makes sense to go and do ten of these scholar applications or these free applications. I think you still want to make sure that this is a school that you would truly go to if you were admitted. And know that just because they're sending you this doesn't mean that you are going to be admitted. Um, so just trying to balance that. I think that can be hard though, especially when some of these are named some some pretty nice just uh, aims for these applications. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I, but I think your point is a really good one, which is if it's not on your list, why is it suddenly on your list? And maybe it does make sense to add one or two of these because you they fall in line with other schools that you're considering. But just to get 10 acceptances, if they turn into accept, acceptances from 10 schools that you have no interest in just because it was free, I don't, that doesn't really serve anyone's interest, not yours, right. not the school's, not anyone's. 
I also think I, I warn my students to be a little wary of these um, only because um, they do know so little about you. They have such little information that it may be that you really would be. So one of the things I see with some of these easy applications is they waive the essay requirement. And I've had a couple of students for whom they're getting these offers from schools that really are reaches. Um, maybe based on their PSAT scores, they look like they could be good options, but I know how the SATs <laughs> turned out or the ACTs, and I know what the grades look like, right, the rigor right. of the curriculum. And I know that they really need that essay to support their application and to help bring it to life a little bit more and to make a compelling case. And so if they were to take advantage of these special applications, they probably are putting themselves at a disadvantage in the process, believe it or not. Um, And I do think that we don't have a lot of time, but I I would like to talk a little bit about the fact that – and you may be seeing this too. I, I mean, I am seeing a few schools who are use quite heavy handed marketing tactics um, to generate a lot of applications um, because what people may not realize is all those applications that get submitted, whether you pay for them or you don't, um, that allows a school to say, look at us. We, you know, we got 30,000 applications and it's harder to get in now. What they may not be telling you is that. 10,000 of those applications may have come in as free applications from students who ultimately weren't even qualified or, or didn't really finish the application process. And so they're, in, in essence, they're artificially inflating their application numbers by doing a lot of marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that that's something else you have to be aware of. Um, and as a parent, maybe you don't care. <laughs> um, and I can appreciate that. Um, it's not something you need to worry about. But I do think that when a school makes it incredibly easy for you to apply and you wonder, gee, am I even qualified? Um, there may be some other things at work there. Right, right. And yeah. it, it is, you know, you do need to still, I know we've said this in this entire segment, but you still need to do your research, right? You can't just say, oh, they're marketing to me, so this must be a good fit, or I must be someone that they want, or I must be someone that they're going to admit. It doesn't take away the fact that you still sort of need to be like, no, oh, you need to know if this is going to be a good fit for you, if this is going to be a challenge in terms of admissibility. You still sort of have to do your research. Yep, exactly. All right, so very quickly, um, how long is this going to continue? <laughs> is it an end date in terms of the mail and the emails coming in? For some schools, yes. And, and I always tell my students, too, if you've decided that a school is not the right one for you and you're getting a lot of email, make sure you opt out. I mean, there's definitely that opt-out option on the um, bottom of every email. Go ahead and do that. I remember, we took students off the list. So you're not getting that mail. I am um, still, I'm on some mailing lists uh, that I just signed up for because I wanted to know what some of the students I work with are getting. And I'm still getting emails from them, even though right now my, you know, said graduation year has already passed. Right, right, so exactly. there isn't always an end. Um, but for most schools, there will be, once you pass the application deadline, you might get a couple more. So say hey, we've extended the deadline. But after that, it should start to uh, really slow down, but I always tell students opt out. Definitely make sure that you're not inundated with mail from schools that you're just not interested in. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I also will put in one quick caveat, or not caveat, but one additional warning, which is that um, if you're getting lots of emails from a college saying, well, we extended our deadline, we extended our deadline, um, and they're still going to be accepting applications, uh, based on some of the schools I've seen sending those and uh, how very selective I know a few of them are, I would be very careful. Um, if you haven't shown that you are interested enough to get it in by the deadline, the likelihood that your application is going to be successful if you opt to throw it in at the last minute um, is pretty slim. I have not seen those really work out very much. Um, Kimberly, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Thanks to all my guests for joining me today. We have a great show lined up for next week. Today's was great too, but next week we're really excited to welcome Monica Esser to the show. Monica has directed international undergraduate outreach, recruitment, and admission at Fordham for eight years, and she's going to be joining us to discuss how admission works for international students. We're also going to be going over the pros and cons of loan consolidation. And we're going to wrap everything up with a segment on getting an early start to essays. It is never too early to start. Well, it is too early to start, but now it's June. It's not too early. Um, and we're specifically going to be talking about how to approach prompts one and two on the Common App. Uh, don't forget, we're welcoming, welcoming our listeners, and that's you. So to everyone out there who's listening, um, we want you to be our guests on air on Thursday, June 18th. And we're going to answer your admissions and college finance questions live. So if you're interested and you want to be a guest on that show, shoot us an email at guest gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. And as always, I'm going to make a plug for our archives. I plugged earlier, but um, there's a treasure trove of college finance and admissions information there, including what it means when a college is score optional, details on applying to service academies like West Point, and advice on how to get started saving for college. Uh, you can also download the shows for free on iTunes, and we're here every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Mm -hmm.